0: Well, amen. I want to begin tonight by asking a few questions. They're going to be rhetorical, so you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I mean, if you want to, that's fine, but I'm not asking you to. Um, Who here has figured out how to exercise dominion over and subdue time? All right. How many of you have figured out how to make time stop? How many of you have learned how to always have enough time in a day or week to accomplish all you need to or want to accomplish? How many of you have mastered your management of your time in such a way that you seem to have more of it than you know what to do with? Okay. How many of you, when asked, how are you doing? Never, ever answer tired tired. Or worn out, or crazy busy. Well, more than likely, the vast majority of us in the in this room um, would not have been able to raise our hands, and did not raise our hands because we're not in a place where we could do so. We're, as a matter of fact, the opposite of all those things is probably true when we think about it, and if we're honest. We're definitely unable to subdue it. We can't make it stop. It keeps rolling along at breakneck speed. We never have enough of it to accomplish everything that's on our to-do list, whether those things are full of needs or wants or a mixture of both. And having more than enough to do everything that we want to do is just a fantasy. And our typical response when someone asks, how are you doing, is to say we're tired or worn out or crazy busy. And I know that because when I talk to people, that's the most common response I get. And I have to be honest that more times than not, it's the answer that I give. And it's, it's not an insignificant issue. Actually, for many, it's become a competition. And if it's not a competition, it's definitely an identity issue. Some wear their weariness and busyness on their sleeve and it's and somehow it's a badge of honor. And and actually, in some cases, it what they say or how they respond reflects an idea that somehow they're gaining significance by it. Others say they want things to be different and they even ask for advice on how things might be different. And then they reject the very simple wisdom and advice that says, just stop it. Stop doing so many things. Take a break. And they reject that because... Well, they reject it because, as Jonathan Edwards once said, we always choose according to the strongest inclination at the time, which means we always basically choose, well, we always and only choose that which we really want. And the most tragic part of that. Is that the Lord has actually scheduled in the calendar from creation seven and a half weeks of rest for every single person, single, married, with children without, young and old. And for whatever reason, we refuse to take advantage of it and we refuse to take advantage of it because in some ways we've either forgotten or maybe we have never been taught that it's only for our good. Maybe we've never been taught that it's also that, that seven, that day, the, the seven and a half weeks of days is a foretaste. It's a foretaste of the goal of creation and redemption. That we will all experience in its fullest sense when Christ returns. So as you can see, or as you can hear, and then as you can see from the outline, our topic tonight or our focus tonight is going to be on Sabbath rest. And I'd like to draw your attention to three things as we walk through the passage tonight. One is Sabbath rest was the aim of creation. Secondly, Sabbath rest was the accent of the feasts. And third, Sabbath rest is only available in Christ. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for this evening. And we would ask that by your spirit, would you allow us to appreciate the richness of of your story of redemption, which you have graciously made us a part. We praise you for revealing Christ by promise and shadow in the pages of Leviticus. Would you help us to understand them? And may we leave here appreciating more fully what is presently and forever ours in Christ. And may we leave more confident in and resting more fully in and trusting more deeply in him and what he has done for us and gifted to us. And I pray all these things in his name, who is our Sabbath rest. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to turn back a few pages to Genesis chapter one, because as it's, been, as has been our common refrain since we began, the goal of both creation and redemption, as summarized by Doc, Dr. Michael Morales, was and is that God desires to dwell with His people in His house. That's His desire. And, and we know it was the goal of creation. By simply looking at the creation narrative, and again, I want to give credit where credit is due, and I want to thank Dr. Morales for this insight. But I want you to look at verse one, or verse excuse me, verse three of Genesis one, and we read that on day one of creation, the Lord created light, and He separated light from the darkness, and He called the light day and called the eve or called the night uh, the darkness night. If you then go down to verse 14, you notice on day four that God created the sun and the moon and the stars and that these were to be for signs and for seasons and for the days and years. In other words, at that point, God creates the calendar that we will see in a moment that he uses to call his people to worship. And then on day six, we read that after he creates all the beasts of the field, he then creates Man, And we typically describe that point as the culmination of creation and we say it's man who was it's it's all about man. But we need to remember that the culmination of creation isn't simply the creation of man. It's it's the culmination is actually in the next day. It's in the seventh day. Because listen to the description in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. The seventh day was the day on which God finished His work that He had done. It was the seventh day on which He rested from all the work that He had done. And it was the seventh day that He blessed and made holy. Something that He did not do to any other day. And the description of what took place on the seventh day, if you'll notice, it does not end. And there was evening and there was morning. Why? Because the Lord's Sabbath rest is eternal. It's eternal and has no end. And brothers and sisters, it was that day that he blessed and made holy. He set it apart. And it was on that day that man would do what no other creature would do. Because man was made in the image of God, in His likeness. And it was on that day that man was to enjoy that Sabbath rest with the Lord. He was to enjoy that fellowship with Him. But we know because of sin that that fellowship was interrupted. That rest was interrupted. So now the goal of redemption was and is now for man to enter into that rest once again uninterrupted. That is his desire for his people. That is what he wants with you and with me. And we say, okay, well, why is that important? Well, if you'll notice in verse 3, now we'll go back to Genesis, or Leviticus chapter 23. If you'll notice in verse 23 of Leviticus 23, God reaffirms what one commentator called the weekly rhythm of seven days. That weekly rhythm of six days on, one off. Six days of work, one day of rest. And so there's this rhythm of work and rest and work and rest. And it was to be a way of life. And that way of life is reflected in the fact that it was included in the Mosaic law. As we read earlier in our confession of sin. And it wasn't to be done simply at home. It wasn't to be done alone. The people were called together to worship. And together they would fellowship with the Lord. Together they would experience His Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was a means by which people would remember all that the Lord had done and that they were able to imitate Him. It was a day set aside that they, it was a means by which the people of Israel would be reminded that He was their God and they were His people. It was a day of remembering. And, and reaffirmation of who they were because of what he had done on their behalf. It was a reminder that though work was difficult, it wasn't all there was. Work was hard, work was weary, wearisome, work was tiresome, but it's not all that there was. It wasn't all that they were to know. And they had endlessly, remember, they, they endlessly were toiling in Egypt. Day after day after day, and that was now over. They now they now had the opportunity to determine what they might do, how they might commit that day to the Lord, what it was that they might do, what might take place on that day that was to take what might happen on that day that that wasn't a normal part of the other six. And it wasn't a, a burden for them to do. It was, it was a pleasure for them to do so. So it was the aim of creation. And because it was the aim of creation, it was also the accent of the feasts that we heard Matt read through. There were, there were five of them. Um, and, and we see the description throughout the rest of, of chapter 23. In that description of the calendar that the Lord had created on day four. Five seasonal feasts... Another rhythm of life. So there's a, the Sabbath created a daily, a weekly rhythm, and these feasts were to provide a yearly rhythm. And these rhythms, or this yearly rhythm accomplished three things. First, it was, it was a means by which it, there was a regular pointing back to the aim of creation. Secondly, it provided a repeated opportunity to be Thankful for and to celebrate God's past and present provision. And then thirdly, it created hope for the provision of, of the future. And two of these feasts were to be in the spring, three were to be in the fall, all were holy uh, convocations or gatherings, right? The people would gather together for worship. And within the five of these feasts, seven, there were seven uh, total, Extra days of rest that were included. So on top of the seven and a half weeks of days in the normal Sabbath, we've got an extra week provided through the feasts. And we're not going to go into great detail about the specifics of the offerings that were presented. We've already been through all of those offerings and the, uh, uh, more of a, a larger description of those is found in Numbers 28 and 29. What I want to focus on is the time and the purpose of. Uh, the time and the purpose and the rest that was experienced in each of these feasts. And we're going to walk through them rather quickly. So first you'll look uh, again as Matt read in verses 4 to 8. The first feast was Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now that was to begin on the 14th day of the first month which was known as Nisan and it corresponds to our March in April. And it was a feast. They were to share a Passover meal together. And it was a means by which they were to commemorate God's deliverance of uh, Israel from Egypt. And in particular, it focused on that final plague that God brought upon Egypt in which every firstborn uh, male was to die if the blood was not painted on the doorposts. Well, on the very next day after the Passover, on the 15th day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread began. And it, too, was to commemorate uh, Israel's deliverance by God from Egypt, but it focused on the making of the bread cakes that were to be unleavened because they needed to leave in haste and they couldn't wait for the leaven to rise or the yeast to rise. And so this feast began, this particular feast began and ended with a day of rest on which there was to be, by definition, no ordinary work or regular work related activity or household chores and they were to gather corporately for worship. Then in verse, you'll notice in verses nine to 14, you might have the heading feast of first fruits, but it's actually an offering within the feast of unleavened bread. And that offering called the first fruits offering, the people, when they were, arrived in Canaan were to take their uh, take a, a bunch of barley They're probably the, the barley was the first of 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 their harvest, they were to take a bunch of that barley and they were to bring it to the priests. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest was to wave that as a thank offering before the Lord to say thank you for the provision of the harvest. And this was important because in verses fifteen to twenty-two, what was to begin after. actually 7 weeks or 50 on the 50th day so on the day after 7 weeks or after 49 days on that 50th day they were the feast of weeks was to begin now it's not named the feast of weeks here we know it's called in other places the feast of weeks and it's also called pentecost And on that day, there was on that in that feast, there was a celebration of the end of the harvest, acknowledging that the Lord was the one who had provided that harvest. Though they had been toiling in the fields and working toward that harvest, they were acknowledging that it was the Lord that was granting that harvest. And in the midst of that, there was this day, again, set aside for worship. They were to make burnt offerings and drink offerings and wave offerings. But they also I think you, you probably heard they were also not to harvest every single bit of their field they were to leave the outer edges unharvested so that those who are poor and the sojourner might have something to eat why is that well it's a perfect opportunity for the people to say thank you for the abundance right that's what the feast of weeks is it's thank you for the abundance thank you for providing and out of our abundance we're going to give to others. And it's giving to others that we express our gratitude for what it is, Father, that you have, Lord, that you have done for us. Well, that was in the spring. The fall would roll around in the seventh month, which is the month of Tishri. And it was corresponds to our September and October. And the three, the three feasts take place there because this was a time when the harvest had ended. There was minimal work being done and the rainy season would begin And on the first of that month, there was known as the Feast of Trumpets. And they would, again, it was a solemn day of rest. And then the trumpets would blow. And those trumpets would be a memorial. The word there is is for memorial. and And the trumpets were used to gather the people to worship. And they would remember in the course of that worship, they would remember how God had acted graciously toward them. And God would remember his promises That he has made or he had made to his people. Then on the 10th day in verses 26 to 32, we see the day of atonement and we studied that more closely in Leviticus chapter 16. It was a solemn day of rest. Um, Three times it's mentioned that they were not to do any work and that's adding the emphasis that they were to take a break during uh, on that day. And remember, this was a day where they were to be afflicted. In other words, they were to repent of their sins, and and their outward actions were to reflect what was going on in the cleansing of the temple. And then the last fall feast is in verses thirty three to forty four. It's called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, and this began on the fifteenth day of Tishri, and it lasted seven days. And like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there was the day that began and the day that ended were both to be days of rest. And in between, the Israelites were to build booths or to build huts to live in. And this was to commemorate the fact that the Lord had brought them through the wilderness and had provided for them as they had lived in those tents, as they as they traveled, as they themselves were sojourners. And so it commemorated that time of God's provision for them. Now. I know that's quick and there we could spend, as Hans reminded me last week, I asked him, you know, so how would you have treated this passage differently a couple weeks ago? He said, well, I probably would have taken three months rather than uh, one evening. And we could do that here as well. But I hope what you hear as we read through that, I hope you hear this again. Feel the rhythm. Right? worship or reverence, remembrance, rest reverence, remembrance and rest built in and that brings us to the third point because as is the case with the sacrifices we we don't follow the calendar. we don't follow the calendar we do not celebrate these holy days or these festivals and we don't because as we've seen throughout our study these feasts like the sacrifices, point ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Him that we find our rest. This is why Paul, this was Paul's point in Colossians chapter 2. He says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It was... So that we might see Jesus. See, we have to remember the imagery in Egypt, right? The Israelites were working and working and working this endless attempt somewhere in their minds. There had to be this idea that if we work hard enough, we'll we'll find freedom somewhere in their minds. If we just do what they say we can do, we will be free and it's very interesting that Moses, when he goes to Pharaoh and says, "Will you let my people go in Exodus five two, he says this. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go that we might go have a feast or hold a feast to the Lord in the wilderness. What's he saying? Pharaoh, let my people go that they might rest and worship. Let them go. But, of course, we know that Pharaoh didn't let them go when he went to ask. And we know that the people, just over time, just had to work harder and harder and harder. The Lord, but but the Lord intervened. Right? The Lord intervened. And all of this pointed forward to the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality in which God would ultimately provide Ultimately intervene on behalf of his people spiritually. He did what we could not secure on our own. It was Jesus who died on the afternoon prior to the Passover. He died on that afternoon. He was raised from the dead on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was also the day of the offering of first fruits. Christ was the Passover lamb. His body was given and his blood was shed for us. We were set free from our bondage of sin because of what he did on our behalf. Our sins were washed away because of the blood that was spilt. And he, he was raised again. What? Paul calls him the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And of course, we know at Pentecost... Fifty days after Christ's resurrection, that the Spirit was poured out, and a great harvest of souls took place that continues today. Now, with that in mind, I want just to think about the, the passage that Matt uh, West read from Matthew eleven: "Come to me, all who labor." And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We as we as people who were in bondage to our sin could do nothing to free ourselves. We couldn't work enough. We couldn't work hard enough. There was nothing we could do on our own behalf. Ultimate rest from our personal pursuit of salvation, from that endless pursuit of salvation, is found only in Christ. It's only in Christ. Ultimate Sabbath rest is available only in Jesus. And... And the only question or two questions for us to ask is, are these, have you experienced that rest? Are you experiencing that rest? And before we profess our common faith and come to the Lord's table, let me conclude with this. There is is an ongoing conversation and some even call it a debate in regards to the Christian Sabbath. Some will say because Christ is our ultimate Sabbath rest that we have no obligation to, to observe the Christian Sabbath that is now observed on the first day of the week rather than the last day of the week because the Lord's resurrection occurred on the first day of the week. And and by the way, some will call call it the Christian Sabbath and others call it the Lord's Day. Some call it both. And others would say, no, the Lord's Day should be observed by His people, not as a means of securing justification. But because it remains a part of the moral law of God. Our confession... The larger catechism, question 117, puts it this way. How is the Sabbath or the Lord's day to be sanctified? The answer is this. The Sabbath or Lord's day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day. Not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful. And make it in our delight to spend the whole time, except so much as it is, To be taken up in works of necessity and mercy. In the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end we are to prepare our hearts. And with such foresight, diligence and moderation. To dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business. That we may be the more free and fit for the duties of that day. So I would like for us as as we close. I would like for us to consider this. While the Sabbath and the feasts ultimately do, they do point to that which the Lord provides spiritually through us. They, they, they provide for us only in Christ do we find our rest. And that is to which that's that's what they point to. But that doesn't mean that there isn't ongoing physical and spiritual value in keeping the Lord's day. It was a rhythm established at creation. It was a rhythm that was accented in the feasts. It was a rhythm that the Westminster divines valued and reinforced. It is a rhythm that we would do well to maintain in our lives today. Work six and rest one. As a matter of fact, go hard or go home on those six. But rest one. Rest one. Take a break from what can be done on those other six days and consider, consider, If you have already maintaining, if you haven't creating a family rhythm of your own. A family rhythm that includes reverence as you make gathering with the Lord's people a priority and we come and and worship together. Make remembrance a part of that, a part of that rhythm. What can you as a family do to remember on that day as you're resting, what it is remembering what the Lord has done for you and reorienting yourselves around the gospel and how that plays out the other six days of the week. And may that also include rest as you enjoy one another and you enjoy God's creation. The blessing of time that is that is yours and built into the calendar. A day that lacks deadlines and appointments and performance in any way. consider scheduling and exercising dominion over the time that you have and unplug and shut down i am a firm believer that the lord does not and will not require require at all for you to forsake a day of rest that he has sanctified in order to accomplish what is ultimately his will for you he another in, in other words he won't contradict himself particularly particularly in light of the fact that the desire that, that his desire of rest for you is a desire for rest with you and it's a foretaste Of what we will experience when He returns. Brothers and sisters, it's what we have been created for. Let's pray together. Father, would you now, by your Spirit...